may be seated. So it would be good to remind you that we are in the third part of the three-part outline as we go through the gospel according to Mark. I remind you that in chapter 1 and verse 14, we see that Jesus went about and he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So the gospel according to Mark is to show you the kingdom of God. That I, that you, that we as human beings, we can reside in, we can live in that authority, that reign of the living God. And the good news that is found in that See, the good news comes after the bad news. The bad news is that mankind and sinning, they were distanced from God. There's a separation between humanity and God, and that's because of sin. But God so loved you, he so loved me, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come and to live and to pay the perfect sacrifice so that in the death and the bloodshed of Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, you and I, we could be forgiven. We could now come into that kingdom of God where we would be receiving and accepting the reign of God in our life, which goes against our sinful nature. So while we're here, there's that battle. Our, our flesh, it, it rises up. But in the spirit, when you're saved, when you're born again... In the spirit, you could say no to the flesh because you're saying yes to God. Now, that's the kingdom of God. We come into that presence of God where he rules and he reigns. And Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom here in Israel, in Jerusalem, where he will reign here for a thousand years. Then there'll be the final battle. And then Jesus, again, he will establish and reaffirm that he rules and he reigns. That's the gospel according to Mark. Chapter 1 through chapter 8, verse 26, we see the preaching of the kingdom. Jesus comes and he teaches. He does miracles. He heals the blind. He restores sight to the ones that can hear. The crippled are unable to walk. Again, to show that in the kingdom of God, the limitations of sin, Jesus Christ came to redeem, to rescue, to save I can be whole. You can be whole. No matter what defects we have because of sin, bitterness, unforgiveness, hardened heart, Jesus came to restore us to God. Chapter 1 through chapter 8, verse 26. Picking up in verse 27, chapter 8, all the way through chapter 10, Jesus, in teaching, he shows that there's a price of the kingdom of God. There's a cost. Jesus paid the cost. He paid the price. But it's an interesting thing, the same way that Jesus humbled himself, went to the cross, carried his cross. Well, when we become followers, disciples of Jesus, we pay the price of following Jesus because Jesus paid the price of our being forgiven and being restored to God. That's chapter 8, verse 27 through chapter 10. Now, all of that to come to the point that we would be on the same page, that now we are in the third block of the three-part outline of the gospel according to Mark, which from chapter 11 through chapter 16, Mark, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, teaches the readers that there's now the pronouncement of the kingdom of God. So even before Jesus ascended, even before Jesus went to the cross, in the last section of Mark, Jesus is pronouncing, making clear, making firm the kingdom of God. In chapter 13, Jesus, in the final week of his ministry here on earth, in the flesh, in life, from the Mount of Olives, Jesus gives a sermon, which is known as the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus teaches the signs of the time as he, his return draws close. That was chapter 13. 
And now in chapter 14, we begin to see again that in that pronouncement and that declaration that Jesus is the king and the kingdom of God is being established, I call your attention to verses 1 and 2. Read through it very quickly, and we see that after two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The chief priests, the scribes, they sought how they might take him by trickery, how to put him to death. But they said, verse 2, not during the Passover feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. I stop there, verses 1 and 2, if you want one word to summarize it, is the word which has to do with offense, offense. The word offense means to actively, aggressively attack. And so we see that the superiors of the time, the supervisors of religiosity, if you would, they are offensive to Jesus. They're going to attack Jesus. They want to bring Jesus down. And in their authority, they make the statement, we're going to get Jesus, but not during the Passover feast. Now, I stop. Again, I thank you for coming this morning. I think with you, and I ask you the question, when was Jesus offered up? When was Jesus arrested? When was Jesus crucified? When did Jesus die? During what festivity? the Passover, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so to keep you hopefully in tune in the pronouncement of the kingdom of God, you're going to see that there is man's word, thus says man, but what you want to look at is thus says Jesus. If you wanted to narrow down the teaching this morning, it has to do with a few words, as he says soldier. We did the first part last Sunday. Hopefully you're going to pray for me and we're going to finish the second part this Sunday. Those of you that were here last Sunday, how many of you were here last Sunday? Would you please lift up your hands so I have an idea, a good number of you, not all of you. Mark 14 shows what matters. We're living in a time where we're getting all this influence, all these messages. Hey, this matters, that matters. And there's so many believers, churches, pastors that are being swept away and being taken by what I would call the flow of the modern times. And many Christians are thinking, man, I feel good about myself because I'm getting involved, you know, and, and these people matter and this race matters. And this morning, I pray that you would think what really matters and during our time together here in chapter 14, you're going to see what matters. The first two verses, this is what they said. Does that matter? Well, from verse 3 through verse 9, we're going to see that when it has to do with Jesus, when Jesus matters, my place, your place in our relationship with Jesus is going to be defined. Either we're going to be on the offensive or we're going to be in a place of offering. Let's read verse 3 through verse 9, self-explanatory. And being in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, very costly oil spikenard. Then she broke the flask, she poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves, and they said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? They summarized what Mary, Martha's sister, Lazarus' sister, what she did here. They said it was a waste. Verse 5, moving on. They said it could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. That is 300 times what a person made on an average day. That's almost a year's wages. That's how expensive this was. It could have been sold for 300 denarii. It could have been given to the poor. They criticized her sharply. But Jesus, I love this. This is where I get in trouble. COVID-19, you know, racial tension, sicknesses, the dismantling of a nation, defunding police. But Jesus, I don't know where you are today. I'm praying, praying for you, pray for me. I'm praying for the church, praying. Where are we? Are we on the offensive or are we making an offering? Here's Mary making an offering. I don't have time. Time is not suffice to say, but this 
alabaster jar. Alabaster was made from like a marble type stone, which is translucent. It was very expensive. The spikenard comes from India. They said that they would get this plant from which they would make this oil, this perfume from very high places, possibly in the Himalayas, which as you put that together, it shows you that there is something that's expensive. It's exquisite. It smells good. And here, Mary, it is said that ladies would save this for their marriage. It was very important for Mary and where nobody's getting it because they're either on the offense, Mary is getting it. Jesus is going to die. Jesus is going to introduce the kingdom. Jesus is worth everything to me. I want to give Jesus that which is most valuable, that which is most dear, which is most special. I want to pour that at the feet of Jesus. And she breaks this expensive alabaster jar because I won't be needing this anymore because as this is broken, the value of the ointment and the perfume is spread on Jesus' feet. And later on, you're going to see that Jesus recognizes she does this to prepare me for my burial. She gets it. She realizes I'm going to die. So, Pastor, what are you getting at? Well, what I'm trying to get at is, as he says, soldier, where are you and where am I? Are we on the offensive or are we giving the offering to Jesus of that which is the most valuable to us? And in case I don't have your attention, what is the most valuable thing you have for 1K, your money, your power, your interest, your influence? Is your soul, is your heart. Are you giving Jesus? Am I giving Jesus? Take my heart. Let it be. Consecrated. Set apart, Lord, for thee. Well, moving on, because of time, they were indignant. They thought it was a waste. They were hiding under the cloak of, oh, we care about the poor. We care about the races. We care about legal. We, we care about, and Jesus busted them. Verse 6, Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work, a beautiful work for me. You have the poor with you always. Now, Jesus is not discrediting the poor. Jesus is, he, 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 he ministered to the poor. He ministered to the weak. But Jesus is saying, the most important thing right now is not your work for the poor, it's what you offer to Jesus. Oh, keep reading with me, verse 7. He says, the poor you're going to have with you always. Whenever you wish, you could do them good. But me, you do not have always. She's done what she should and what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Surely I say to you that wherever this gospel is preached. Now notice, often in this chapter, I say, Jesus said, as he says, soldier. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Right now I'm electric. I, I got so much I want to say, but you got to stop. You got to let these things sink in. Miami, 2020. Who did we just speak about? Help me out here. Like if we were in our living room, who did we just speak about? You're scaring me right now. <laughs> who brought an offering to Jesus' feet? practice. Who brought an offering to Jesus' feet? Mary. One more time. We're going to go for three. Who brought an offering to Jesus' feet? Mary. As he said, soldier. Jesus wasn't playing around. This is not the opiate of the masses. This is not religion. This is more essential than any liquor store. This gathering here is more essential than any abortion that needs to take place this week, which I'm not even going to go down that route right now. You see, whether you're in the back or you're in the front, God has gathered us here today to evaluate. Where am I? 
Where are you when it has to do with Jesus and his kingdom? Offensive or offering? What he says is what I value or what the press says or what the governor says or what the president says. What are we, what are you more concerned about today? The election? Just getting rid of this COVID situation here? Or are we really today saying, Lord, what are you saying to me right now? Well, we move on. And we see here how Judas responds, verses 10 and 11. And then we're going to see verses 12 through 25, what Jesus does. 12 through 25, if you want to outline that, I call it the better way, the better way. Verses 10 and 11, Judas responds, we could entitle that the bitter way. See, Judas gets bitter. Read with me, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. They promised to give him money. So he saw how he might conveniently betray him. For those of you that weren't here last week, I, got, I just got to tell you that Judas does this because of covetousness. He sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You remember, we looked, we thought about this, we evaluated, and we brought to light how Judas didn't spend one coin of what he sold his soul. He sold his life. He made some bad choices. He had to reap the decisions of his bad choices. And where did this get him? Where did the world's way get Judas? He went out. He committed suicide. He hung himself. The thing that Judas did thinking, this is going to bring me notoriety or it's going to have my way. Incidentally, for those of you that want to know, as you study the Gospels, you're going to see one of the Gospel writers tells us that Judas, as the treasurer, he was the one that made the remark. He makes the remark in front of people, and when he sins or errs in front of people, what does Jesus do? Jesus corrected him in front of people. So he got bitter. Instead of being humble, instead of saying, duh, Jesus, you're right. Duh, what am I thinking about? No, he got bitter. He says, oh, really? I'm going to show you. That's the bitter way. Inadvertently, without a doubt, there's no one here this morning that is exempt from responding to things in life in a bitter way. You think you're owed something. You think you deserve something. I suggest to you that in the world that we're living, some people are just spinning that bitter motivation, and they're just making people more bitter, you know? And we got we to gotta get the cops, and we got to get the Hawaii people. You know, be careful. If you're listening to me and you're from another church, I would say to you, be very careful. Be very careful. Bitterness usually does not yield any good fruits. You could go the bitter way or now look at Jesus and look at the better way. So verse 12 through verse 25, now on the first day of the feast, this is Thursday now, family, of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? So he sent them two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the city. A man is going to meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. I stop a second. I hate to interrupt the reading. I looked to your eyes. This was very unusual. Usually, ladies were the one that went to get the water. But Jesus tells these men something unusual. In the world that we live in, a lot of the things that I said this morning is unusual. I realize that there might be some people here that maybe you're wrestling Stick with the Lord. Stick with the Lord. What is God trying to communicate? He tells them to do something very unusual. And again, where are you and where am I in the kingdom of God? I listen to the Lord. And if he tells me to do something unusual, if it's in his word, if it's in the spirit of the Lord, what do I do? What do you do? We obey. We do it. So they go out and they do it. And he told them, you're going to see a man. He's going to be carrying a picture. He's going to meet you. He said, follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room? 
in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And then verse 15, Mark 14, he's going to show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. Make the preparation. So the verse that we started with, the foundational verse, the verse that we read, his disciples, they went out, they came into the city. I love this. And they found it just as he had said to them. And then they prepared the Passover. So I stop a second, make sure you're with me. When Jesus gives you instructions, you obey, you do it's always the better way. I want to stay there. I want to say more, but because of time. You're praying for me, so let's move on. We go now to what verse? Well, we see here 17, right? In the evening, Thursday night now, he came with the 12. And now as they sat and they ate, Jesus said, Surely, I say to you. I stop a second. Think with me. Jesus said, I said, assuredly, again, Mark 14, again, the pronouncement of the kingdom of God. It's not if you're a Baptist, Methodist, Roman Catholic, uh, even Hebrew, Jewish. What is it about? Are you listening to the words of Jesus? Can your life and my life be marked? Can it be uh, demonstrated as people that, man, we go through stuff. We go through trials. We're on the front end of being attacked, but you know what we always do? What Jesus says. So they did what Jesus said, and now Jesus says again, Surely I say to you, one who you that eat with me, you're going to betray me. Verse 19, and they began to be sorrowful. And they said to him one by one, is it I? And another one said, is it I? And he answered, and he said to them, it is one of the 12, the one who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. And then this sentence here is shocking. Jesus says, it would have been good for that man if he had never been born. So está caliente. That's really hot. What do you mean by that, Pastor? The bitter way? the better way. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of man. The righteousness of God, <laughs> the righteousness of men. Listen, God's gathered us here this morning. Something that's burning in my heart that, man, may the Lord use me that it burns in your heart. Pray for the young people that are here. There's some young people here and you know, I'm a fogey, I'm a grandpa. I mean, who, who, what, what young, but anyway, we go with it, you know, do whatever God says to do, right? Listen, Judas, for the rest of eternity, he has to deal with the thought, I knew Jesus, I walked with Jesus, I heard Jesus, but I let bitterness, I let bitterness get the best of me. Jesus warned me. I had plotted to betray him. And Jesus, he's trying to get my attention. Get this this morning. He will always give you a way out. God is faithful that with the temptation, he will not let you be tempted beyond the point that you can resist. And with the temptation, he gives you the way out. Remember David? Remember Bathsheba? He sees Bathsheba. He's going to sin with Bathsheba. And when he says, bring that girl over. They tell him, that's Uriah's wife, 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 wife in Spanish. Wife or wife. No, that's not Spanish. Let me that up. Eposa, eposa. That's, that's the Lord saying, David, what are you doing? Eposa, eposa. No, he, I'm just going to talk to her. I'm going to do some ministry. What I want you to see here is when you have an opportunity to accept the Lord and we reject them and reject them and reject them, there's like a, there's like a line that when you cross that line, now you're, you're almost like locked into what you've chosen. 
And so that's what Jesus, and it would have been better for that man never to have been born. And be careful with the theology that some people say, well, Judas had no choice. He had to do that. If Judas had no choice, what you're trying to say to the person that had that theology, that God makes Judas for Judas to betray Jesus? Well, well, I read the scriptures. Listen, Jesus here is giving Judas an opportunity. The one that dips with me, that was something that was given to the guest of honor. To the last moment, since Jesus chose Judas as one of the 12, he's given Judas an opportunity. You know, I know the way this is going to go, but it doesn't have to go that way. If you make a different choice, you will have different results of your choice. But Judas held on to bitterness. I wonder if there's anyone here or anybody watching that, man, you're bitter. You're bitter. And God did this. Sometimes we're bitter and we don't even know we're bitter. Let it go. Today's a good day to let it go. Why? Because if you stick to the road of bitterness, it says here, it would have been better. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And in a sense, this is a summary of anyone that rejects Jesus Christ. Verse 22, we move on as we continue to look here at the better way. What's the better way? The Jesus way. So verse 22, they were eating. Jesus took bread. He blessed it. He broke it and gave it to them. And then he said, take, eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. All, they all drank from it. And then Jesus said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. I want you to see in verse 25 that Jesus is there prophesying, I'm coming back. I'm having this Passover with you. Jesus knew shortly after that he would be taken to the cross. He would be crucified. He would be buried. He would resurrect. Fifty days after, he would be with them. He would ascend to sit at the right hand of God the Father where Jesus is now uh, physically, spiritually. He's here in presence by the Holy Spirit. But I look to your eyes, and I hope you're with me. I hope you get this. Jesus says, hey, those of you here, I see Orlando back there. Jesus is saying, we're going to have communion again when I return in the kingdom. Last Wednesday, if you weren't here, you missed it. We had the Lord's Supper. We had communion. It's that commandment that Jesus gave. He says, do this in remembrance of me. There's something that happens to us as believers that when we gather and we take that bread that represents the body of Jesus and we take that juice that represents the blood of Jesus and we eat of the bread and we drink of the juice, we're in obedience to Jesus. We're worshiping Jesus. We're remembering the sacrifice. We're remembering Jesus. And then we're proclaiming that Jesus is returning. The Bible says that when we do that, there's healing that comes. There's restoration that comes. Are you taking communion? Are you here? Would you do me a favor? Would you pray about this is what month? Help me out. So what comes after July? The first Wednesday in August, we're going to do communion. It would be good if all of you were here. Wouldn't it be great? Let me give you a little illustration. I go down a side road. I did missionary work to Haiti. And I'm kind of like in the line of germaphobe. I, I pray. I, I yield it to the Lord. I could be so much worse if I let go. But, but I'm in Haiti, and, and I'm, you know, I got chlor, Clorox, and I'm trying not to get sick. You know, I took the malaria pills. I, I did all of that. And, and, and I, my wife hooked me up. I took peanut butter and tuna fish. And, you know, I, I was very careful. By God's grace, he, he, I didn't get sick. But I'm in a church, and they're serving communion. The way I think, I said, Lord, what am I going to do? Because I... I don't know who prepared that communion and, you know, that, you know, that juice. They put water. It's uh, water from I'm, water that I'm not used to drinking, you know. And I said, Lord, I pray, but if I'm going to get sick, this is the way to go. Lord, I'm taking communion, and I ate the bread, and I drank the juice. And hopefully you'll be proud of your uh, grandpa pastor here. I'm not, I'm not saying for you to be irresponsible. I'm not saying for you to be foolish but what i am saying is are you willing to do what the lord tells you to do what are you more afraid of your health 
or your healthy spiritual being that you found obeying the Lord. I'm not trying to trip you up. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, please understand what I'm saying this morning because I'm watching. I'm seeing. And before our very eyes, the body of Christ is being defined right now. I'm being defined. You're being defined. Jesus said, hey, it's bread, it's juice, but when you meet together and you have communion, it represents my body. It represents my blood. Now, not to transubstantiation. I'm not going down the route of some theologians that said that every time you, you do a service, you know, Jesus is crucified all over again, and he goes to the cross because the word of God in Hebrews that we've been going through on Wednesday's middle of the week tells us very clearly, hey, Jesus died once. His sacrifice is only needed once. Where am I at? Where are you at? Communion. Look at what it says here. Jesus says, this is so special to me that, man, until the day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God, it's almost like they're implied, Jesus saying, I'm looking forward to that. I stop. Look to your eyes. Summarize this point so we can move to the next one. The better way. Sacrifice of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the victory of Jesus. As you come to church, it's not just about the pastor, how good he speaks, or the music, or the facilities, or man. Uh, well, it's funny how the Lord has shut all of that down, right? Se acabó la fiesta. Que no pare la fiesta. COVID, para. It's amazing what God can do. But why is he parando la fiesta? So you, you enter into what the real party is going to be. The feast of the wedding of the Lamb. So that you live your life and I live my life. Not just by uh, Chirino's music or, or Colón's bangos. You know, I, I live my life that maybe you do that, maybe you don't. But I always have a party going on inside. Because I was destined to hell. And now I'm heaven bound. Because of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We got some new neighbors. Bless the Lord. And the neighborhood was quiet before they moved in. I love them. I, you know, I got to listen to the music they like in my house. I got hurricane impact windows, and I still, the music still comes in. Pray for me. I'm, I'm maybe going to talk to them. I don't know. And, you know, tell them, hey, but they, they're beautiful. I love them. I really love them in case they're watching. I love you, you know. <laughs> Man, just lower it a little bit. <laughs> but what am I getting at? I could be in the pool, and I need no music. I just need to look at my grandkids, and there's the music. I could look at my wife for 42 years. I could see the music. I could think about you. In other words, when, when you're born again, there's a party going on inside. There's a celebration going on inside. We're different. You're different. So many churches today, so many Christians, and they're just like the world. The only difference is on Sunday, they do something different. Reminds me of the story. That parrot that used to hang around in the bars. <coughs> Always used to hang around in the bars. And one day he flew out of the bar, out of the club, and it went to church. And he was in the, in the church rafters now watching the people come in. And the parents said, eh, same people, same people. Eh. And then they started the worship service. And the parents said, eh, same music, same music. Eh. Then the message went on and the parents said, eh, different message, different message. It wasn't part of the story, but I add to it that hopefully when the people went out, eh, now they're different. Now they're different. Funny world we live in. Mega churches, 10 miles wide, one inch deep. No influence to change the world because the world has so changed the church. So God said, I got something for that. Let's try a little COVID-19. Let's see how they respond. Let's see how they act. Surely I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Well, verses 26 to 31, he's going to give a warning. You see, you could be offensive, you could be an offering, you could be better, you could be bitter, but still there has to be a warning because your life and my life. Well, let me look to your eyes before we begin to read and let me tell you, this is a challenging world. This is a challenging world. 
Let's read it together. See what's up there. Verse 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So many believes the, the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 118, in case you want to go later and see the songs that they sang. Verse 27, moving on. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made, be made to stumble. That's the warning. Circle that word stumble. I'm going to come back to it. Let's continue to read. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Please notice that. Stumble means you're going to fail. I go before you to Galilee means, but there's a future. See, I looked to your eyes a second before we read on, and, and I got to tell you, as believers, we're going to fail. But in Jesus, we got a future. As he says, soldier, sometimes your marriage fails. Sometimes you think about suicide. But why should Christians not commit suicide? Because you have a future no matter how tragic, no matter how terrible, no matter how trying the present circumstances are. Jesus says, but I go ahead of you. I go before you to Galilee, the days that we live in. And I'm not making light of it. It's pastors, pastors committing suicide. What is going on in our life? You sitting here today that maybe tried to, to, to commit suicide? No, there's a future. But let's keep reading because of time. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, again that word, yet I will not be. Stop a second. Again, you see this here? Peter is saying something different from what Jesus said. Jesus said, you're all going to be made to stumble. What does that word stumble mean? There's a good point to stop. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. That word in the original language is the word, which is scandalizo. You get the word. It sounds like what? Scandal, right? What does that word mean? It means to cause, to begin. In other words, Jesus says, because of me, because it was going to happen tonight, every one of you, there's going to be a cause there that's going to begin to want to make you distrust, want to make you deny, want to make you to desert as someone that betrays. That word scandalizo in the original language means that not only are you caused to begin to distrust, to deny, and to desert, but you're disobeying the one that you should be obeying. Are you with me? Maybe you are, maybe you're not. I left something out. Not only distrust, not only deny, not only desert, here's what I want you to get. The word implies that that is brought about by an entrapment. Are you with me? In other words, something's going to trick you, that something's going to be happening here, but over here what's really happening is that you're being swayed, you're being distracted, you're being distanced to begin to deny. It starts with distrust. Can I really trust the Word of God? Is this really going to happen? And then I think with you, this little COVID thing, look at where we are. Some churches haven't met since March. I remember the last service that we had was March 15. We had services, and we stopped because the Lord told us to stop. And then when the Lord told us to start, we said, as he says, soldier, we started having services. But do you know that there's a state where the authorities are saying you can't sing to the Lord? Did you know that? The blessing that you had here this morning, wasn't there some great worship that we were able to? They're saying you can't sing. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? When they knock at your door, we're collecting all the Bibles. Hand them over. What are you going to do? Well, you know, I got it in my heart. I'll keep a secret one. What are you going to do? Then he said to them, all of you will be made to stumble. We're living some dangerous times. But don't worry about COVID. COVID is just a trial. Did you know that? They have this other one coming out. Did you hear about it? This amoeba that goes in through your nasals, you know, it affects your brain. Be careful if you're swimming in fresh water, lake water, you know. Here in Florida, 140-something cases, only a few have survived. Hey, don't worry about COVID. It's just a trial. Some better stuff is yet to come. I'm saying that in, in a note of trying to make a point. What's the point I'm trying to make? What, what are you frightened by? Someone said when you fear the Lord, man, you don't fear 
anything that man or the world can throw at you. Because you realize, what are, what are you going to do? Threaten me with heaven? And again, don't misunderstand me. If you come up today for prayer and you have a mask, I have my mask and I wear on it. There's a time to wear a mask and, and it's wise. You know, the county's telling us to wear a mask. That's great. Some wear masks. Some don't wear masks. The point is, why do we do what we do? Because, listen, not wearing masks, before you know it, you could be on your way to stumble. It's an entrapment. You're thinking higher than yourself than you should. And then if you wear them, and what's the point I'm trying to make? Some of you have elderly parents. I had someone I invited to church today said, Pastor, what am I going to do? I have elderly parents. My parents are telling me not to go. I want to go. What am I going to do? I said, you stay home. You pray. Hopefully they're watching. I didn't say who your name is, so don't worry. But the point is that Jesus is declaring, if you're trusting in yourself, if you're trusting in your own experience, if you're trusting in your own friendships, if you're, if you're, in other words, look at what Jesus says here to Peter now. Are you there in 14? Let's go back to it. So Jesus makes a statement. Peter wants to contest Jesus. Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. So verse 30, Mark 14, Jesus said to him, I surely I say to you today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you're going to stumble three times. You're going to deny me three times. But now Peter, verse 31, I love it. It makes you think that he was Hispanic, right? He got more vehemently. Isn't that what I do? I do that sometimes. You know, I, I raise my voice, you know, believe it or not, you know. And people tell me, Dad, Dad, what do you mean? I'm, I'm relaxed, you know. I, you know, pray for me. But the point is this. Peter, when Jesus says three times, you're going to deny me, Peter. Now he, as he says, soldier, Peter doesn't get it yet. So now he spoke more vehemently, and he said, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. I wish I wasn't there. But again, if you're taking notes, this is what I wrote in my, in my, in my margins here. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit. No amount of determination, no amount of knowledge, no amount of know-how, no amount of advice, no amount of counseling, no amount of power, no amount of fame, no amount of money, no amount of friendship is going to keep you and me to get to the finish line. I don't know what that does to you. It shakes me. Because sometimes I'm trusting. I've been doing this since 1972. That's a long time, right? When the dinosaurs used to roam the earth, right? But this scripture today is telling me, Raz, if you trust in that, cursed is he who trusts in man. Because, Raz, the only way you're going to make it through the finish line is when you get to that point that you're trusting the Holy Spirit as he says, soldier. I got to be a soldier. If you're going to make it in this, you got to realize that God is raising up soldiers, not sissies. You know what I mean by that? I, oh, oh my goodness. And it doesn't have to change the way you talk. You can say, oh my goodness, but I'm in because I'm a soldier. Just to get the concept, to get the understanding. We serve a risen Savior, He's the King, He's the Lord. Yes, sir, Lord, whatever you want from me. I'll walk the road you lead me, Lord. I'm going to stop swimming now? No, Lord, if you tell me to swim and I get that amoeba, well, Lord, if that's the road, whatever road you have for me, Lord, cancer, leukemia, what's the other one they call? Dementia? Parkinson's? Or you die in good health. Let's not leave that one out. I like that option. Is that an option, Lord? I'll take it if it's available. But the point is, we need the Lord for all of them. I need Jesus. I'm looking at a group of people that I want to tell you this. You need Jesus too. Oh, no, but we got Pastor Raz. We got Pastor Zach. We got Pastor George Lee. If we got Pastor George Lee, we got it. 
he'll tell you, you need Jesus. And that's what Jesus is teaching here in chapter 14 as he pronounces his kingdom. You're all going to be made to stumble. You're all going to fail. But you got a future. I'm coming back to Galilee. I'll see you guys in Galilee. She will wrap it up in the short time that we have left. So what happens? Well, not only does Jesus give the warning, but now he gives the answer to get through the warning, which is prayer. We need to pray. Then they came to a place which is called Gethsemane. That means olive press. But this Gethsemane, I got to look to your eyes as I get ready to read. It also means, I didn't say this last week. I have to say this. It's a place that not just the olive is pressed. Listen, you got to get this. Gethsemane was a place that they also pressed the olives. Are you ready for this? And the pit. The pit of the olive. Because that gave the olive oil better juice flavor. The pit. I don't know about you, but as a kid, I used to eat aceitunas. I loved aceitunas. That's olives. And I loved aceitunas with the pit. And I would try to, you know, crack the bit, the pit. I never was able to crack one. Those pits are hard. So here Jesus goes to Gethsemane. And the implication is Jesus is going to be crushed. Everything that Jesus has, in a sense, is going to be crushed. So now fresh oil will come out. And in a way, those of you that are in the back, those of you that are in the front, those of you that are watching by computer, you need to know we all are going to have our Gethsemanes. It's just a matter of time. We're going to be pressed. And so there, what do you do in Gethsemane? What do you do when you're being pressed? What do you do? Well, here's what Jesus did. He said to his disciples, sit here while I do what? Can you help me out? Pray. And so verse 33, he took Peter, James, John with him. He began to be troubled, good timing, deeply distressed. Verse 34, then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here, watch. Then he went a little bit further. He fell on the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me, but nevertheless, not what I will, but your will, your will be done. And then he came and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? You're a soldier. This is battle time. That's what I add to it. Are you sleeping? Could you not watch for one hour? Simon, can you pray una horita, one hour? Watch, pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, verse 39, he went away and he prayed and he spoke the same words. And when he returned, this means a third time, he found them sleeping again. And now I want you to see the grace of Jesus, for their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to answer him. And then he came a third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping, resting? Then he lets them sleep. It's enough. Implication there is, ha, sigan durmiendo. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 42. You see, this is where he's waking them up now. Rise. Let us go. My betrayer is at hand. I got to stop here quickly. Only commentary I'll make here is prayer. Isn't it incident? Isn't it interesting that Jesus prayed three times? Now, here's a question. Like, if you were in your living room, answer me a lot. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? If he would have prayed instead of slept, if he would have taken the word of Jesus, you're going to be stumbled. You're going to be entrapped into a place where you're going to distrust, you're going to deny, and you're going to desert. Family, my brothers, my sisters, dads, moms, sons, daughters, and then my favorite club, abuelitos, abuelos, grandpas, grandmas. Who's praying for your grandchild? Who's praying today? One hour. How many of us can say, you know what, Pastor, this week I did better in my prayer life? By the way, you don't have to be old and balding to do that. You can be young like you, young and beautiful. You could pray. Discover what it is to get in a place where it's just you and the Lord. And how do you know when you pray? Some people will say, man, I pray and the demons tremble, you know, and I say, get out. I don't need you to pray for me. How do you know when you pray? Man, I pray and somehow in that prayer time, I come in with my will and I say, Lord, it's no longer about my will. 
It's your will, Lord. I want you to pray for me. Prayer is that place that, you know what, it's not, I come in with my list, I come in with my desires, but in that prayer time, the presence of the Lord, the beauty of the Lord, the blood of Jesus Christ becomes so real that I can say, Lord, I rest in you. Let's do this. I trust you, Lord. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. 66,000 miles on this odometer. I wish I could tell you it gets easier. It doesn't. The problem in my house is that every time Ras gets up, Ras gets up with me. I need Jesus. I need prayer. Six o'clock tonight, we'll be here praying. Can't come? Okay, no problem. You got an excuse. Would you just set your smart device for six o'clock? And can you pray wherever you are? Can you do that? Can it be possible that Moses and Abraham and the people in heaven, I don't think they could look down, but if they could look down, oh, Calvary Chapel, Miami, those are those guys that pray. Look at them, Miami Beach, look at them. Cayo Hueso, Key West. Look at them, they're praying. Cora Gables prays. You better believe it, Cora Gables prays. They need Jesus too. Liberty City, Hialeah, and don't leave out Sweetwater. They pray. They're praying. They don't need the band. They don't need the uh, pastor and the beautiful pastor's wife because they pray. Who's going to win the election? It's up to the Lord. Your will, Lord. Maybe you want us to be ready for your return quicker. Be ready for surprises, family. Be ready for surprises. The only way you're going to be ready is when you pray. Rise. Let's go. My betrayer's at hand. Verses 43 to 52. I wish I could read it with you because of time I can't. But Judas comes and he kisses Jesus. He calls him Rabbi, Rabbi. See that there? He had made a plot. Whoever I kiss, that's the one. Arrest him. I will read this part with you. Verse 45, right? He said, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed them. They laid their hands on Jesus. They took Jesus. They arrest Jesus. Imagine that, a place of prayer, a sanctuary in Gethsemane. Those of us that have been there, it's been beautiful. I can't wait to go to Israel again if I get that opportunity. I don't know, but I know during the millennium I'll go every year for sure. But Rabbi, Rabbi, and Jesus, I love it. Verse 49, he says, hey, guys, I was with you in the temple teaching you. You didn't arrest me there. You've come against a robber. What do you think? I'm a robber? And they all fled. I stop a second. When you go home and you read it, you're going to see that Peter, he's half asleep. Remember, he's asleep. And they come to arrest Jesus. And Peter has a little blade. He doesn't have a big blade. And yet Peter is such a man. He's able to take that blade. And he was able to cut one ear off a special guard. Imagine if he would have been awake. Jesus puts the ear back. He says, Peter, put away your sword. You live by the sword. You die by the sword, Peter. So when Peter gets confronted, Peter runs. All the disciples run. Sons of thunder. Remember those guys? James and John, they run. Everybody runs except one, a younger guy. Many people believe that it's Mark. Incidentally, before I read it, I got to tell you, many people believe that Mark, we know that his mom is where they had the prayer services. And many people believe that the man that was carrying the water jar that when Jesus says he's going to take you to the master of the house, many uh, traditions says that they think that that man was Mark, John Mark's father. Many people believe that this is John Mark, and this is like his signature. He put this here, which not when we read it, you say, why would he put that there? Moving on, verse 53, I will read that. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. Wait, wait a minute, no, no, 51, verse 51. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen of cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young man laid a hold of him. They laid a hold of John Mark, many scholars believe. And he left the linen cloth and he fled from them naked, being the first streaker in the New Testament here when Jesus gets arrested. What's the point? 
well, this is what I think. You could get to heaven. You'll be able to ask John Mark after you worship Jesus for signs and signs of years. But I believe John Mark as a youth, as so many of our youth, you know, Pastor George and Judy Iglesias, you know, work with the youth ministry, Pastor George. They know that sometimes when you're young, man, you're sold out. You're ready. And I think John Mark, maybe he couldn't sleep or maybe he was sleeping. He wakes up in the middle of the night and he knows where they pray. He knows Gethsemane. And he just threw himself a linen over himself and he's there hanging with Jesus. And then he sees the whole thing go down. He sees Peter go. He sees John go. He sees everybody goes. And John Mark still stays a little bit longer. And then when they get his, 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 his sheet, he runs for it. At least he stayed longer than those dignified warriors. It's an amazing thing. Well, between verses 53 and 65, you're going to see the prize. You're going to see the prize. Jesus gives his life. Verse 57, some rose, they bore false witness against them. Jesus is quiet all this time. He doesn't say anything. Verse 60, the high priest stands up and says, in the midst of everything, he says to Jesus, don't you answer anything? Are you still quiet? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But again, verse 61, Jesus stays silent because what's matter? What, what, what matters? So he stays silent. And again, the high priest asked Jesus, and he said to him, Are you the Christ? Are you the anointed one of God? Are you the son of the blessed one? And now we see that Jesus answers because this is what really matters. And so Jesus said, I am. And you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power. And you're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and he said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned Jesus, deserving death. Then some began to spit on Jesus. They blindfolded Jesus. They beat Jesus. Isaiah 52, 14 says that his face was beyond recognition. And they're beating Jesus. And they're mocking Jesus and say, prophesy. Who's the one that hit you? You know so much. Well, to close off the chapter, worship team, you can begin to come forward whenever you're ready. Verse 66, join me there. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But verse 68, he denied it. And he said, I neither know, I don't even understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch, and guess what happened? That wasn't a bad rooster, was it? I don't know, but anyway. Verse 69. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say those that stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those that stood by said to Peter again, surely you're one of them. You're a Galilean. You even talk like Galilean. You talk like people from that area. You talk like Jesus. And then he began to curse and to swear, blankety blank. I don't know this man that you speak of. And verse 72 tells us, <laughs> that wasn't a good rooster. But that was on purpose because this must have been Peter's worst day. Peter's a man like many of the men here, like many of you woman warriors that are here. It's amazing what women sometimes do for their little cubs, mama bear. I love my wife. She's quiet. She's soft. But don't mess with her bears. Don't mess with her, Jesus. Integrity, ethics, honesty. Amazing. Fearless. How terrible it is when you have that warrior heart and you fail. And you, yourself, you know, ah, what does it tell us there? Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you're going to deny me three times as he says, soldier, and when he thought about it, he wept failure. But there's a future, right? Jesus said to him, 
going to meet you in Galilee. So I wonder this morning if there's anyone here, anybody watching that, man, you, you failed. Your life is not what it could be in Jesus. You know what I discovered in my lifetime? Isn't it interesting how Jesus knew that he came with a mission? Jesus' mission was to go to the cross. He, he fought scrimmages. He fought battles, but he knew that he had the main battle, which he wins in Gethsemane, and then by the time he goes to the cross, the victory is assured. He prayed. He prayed in Gethsemane. And so I looked at the people that are here and to think that every one of you, you're fearfully, you're wonderfully made. There's a purpose for your life. There's like a battle that you're going to go to that's the battle that's meant for you to fight. And I wonder how many people are, are aware of that. By the time that comes, if it comes for you, you, you already lost it. You've been sidetracked. You've been, you've been distracted. You've been stumbled. But God is the God of future. You know how you spell future? F-O-R-G-I-V-E-N-E-S-S. What does that spell? That's future. God is a God of forgiveness. And you fail and you flip and you flop. But Peter had his battles. Peter would get up at Pentecost. And then Peter would go to Simon the Tanner's house. God wants to use you. Are you getting ready? Are you going to be distracted? Are you going to do what the world says, what your feelings say, what your emotions say? Or are you going to be a person of faith that you're going to say, Lord, whatever you say, Lord, whatever you say, Lord, that's good enough for me. Let's do this. Let's do this. Father, I pray. I pray for your beautiful people that are here today, Lord. We finished Mark chapter 14, but Lord, 